0: Hey, I'm Dave Ursula. Welcome back to Written Spoken. This is my podcast. It's a podcast in which the written word comes to life as the spoken word through the voices of the writers who wrote them. And in season two, authors are coming on from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, and they're doing an author reading for us of a select excerpt from one of their recent works or their most recent book. These aren't necessarily all professional authors, so you'll hear a lot of different experiences in the course of our interviews which follow those author readings to learn about their creative process, but also their personal stories, their professional stories, and what they're offering or sharing in the world today. So even if you're not a writer or an aspiring author, there's a lot here about how to live the best version of life for you. And uh, I hope you're liking what you hear. If you do like what you're hearing in season two, I'd love to hear from you. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so that I know that you're liking this. I'm curious if you're liking the format and if you're enjoying the questions that are being asked of authors. So please leave us a rating and a review that also helps other listeners find the show. Without further ado, today I have a really special guest. Her name is Kobe Kozlowski. She is an internationally recognized yoga teacher. She's considered to be someone who's changed the modern practice, and she has a really accessible way of talking about yoga as a philosophy. So even if you're not into yoga, we talk about things like how her definition of yoga is intimacy, how Kobe keeps herself in check by assessing what she calls crimes against wisdom and what that means. We also talk about control and how to Navigate matters of control, especially in circumstances like ours where so much feels out of our control. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to Kobe. She's going to be reading an excerpt right now from her book, One Degree Revolution. Kobe, take it away.
1: Yoga is intimacy. Living yoga invites us to create intimate relationships and be in awe of our creativity, enthusiasm, and the pure delight of being alive. It asks us to look directly at our life as we are experiencing it, leaving nothing out. It means being so dedicated to experience life more fully that you're willing to dissolve who you think you are for the sake of who you really are. It allows you to connect with the tides of terror and joy, will and surrender, pain and pleasure. It allows you to befriend the ache in your heart and see this ache as sacred. It's another paradox that invites you to fully feel as you learn how to ride the waves, the ups and downs of life, with grace and an open heart and mind. Yoga teaches that the myth that it was a roar of joy that put everything in the universe into motion. Part of learning to be intimate with life is to be inundated with the essence of joy and learning to be curious with the terror. If we are open to having an intimate relationship With the deepest sense of truth, which means leaving nothing out and welcoming everything in, you will find that you can offer your heart to the vast mystery of life itself, gaining a deeper sense of compassion to everything and everyone around you. Yoga is deep listening. Yoga teaches the art of listening, which includes both internal listening and external listening. Many people wonder what life is all about. What is it made up of? What are we here to do? And who are we at our core? When we learn to deeply listen to our own heart's desires, we can be introduced to love, beauty, and a natural intoxication with life itself. Dr. Lauren Roche, author of The Radiant Sutras, teaches that when you deeply listen to the whispers of life, you can hear the calling to enter into the vastness of the heart and give yourself to it with total abandon. When you deeply listen and learn to trust life, a feeling of being at home in the universe can wash over you, a feeling that you fully belong here. Yoga is opening to the mystery of life. Yoga is like the scientific method. We start with a hypothesis, the inquiries, and then we put ourselves into different experiments for the sake of reaching a conclusion. This perspective of yoga teaches that there's no such thing as certainty. There is at best a likely scenario. However, when we get curious, skillfully participate, and are open to uncertainty, we create a higher probability for our intended outcome. And if we don't achieve what we desired, we can relax into the mystery of what can show up instead. Many people are uncomfortable being in the mystery of life the existential questions of what's really going on around us or what happens when we die and have habits or strategies to try to fill the void of not knowing so that they don't have to feel this uncertainty, fear, or anxiety. So we often choose a distraction, wasting time on our phones, eating mindlessly, spending time with people and not really being present, ignoring our feelings. Sometimes a moment of distraction can be useful. It can be a pause, a time to reset, but when it becomes dominant or habitual, it can turn into a crime against wisdom, knowing deep down that some action or idea is not helpful in doing it anyway. Some would call this behavior self-sabotaging. A crime against wisdom could be staying up too late when you know you would feel better getting more rest, eating sugar when you know you would feel more alive if you didn't, or staying in a relationship that you know is unhealthy. We commit these crimes against wisdom because we often don't know what else to do. We can feel stuck in a riptide, not consciously thinking that we have choices and don't know how to get out. Or we desperately want to leave, but don't realize we have the tools to get us out of this current. When we recognize these crimes against wisdom and choose a more affirming path, we can still encounter obstacles. For instance, when I'm called to make some kind of one degree shift to help me live with greater alignment or to get me out of a riptide, often the first feeling I encounter in the obstacle is resistance. When resistance rears its head, I get extra curious about what's going on because my resistance is often a gremlin or self sabotaging part of myself that doesn't want to let go of the habit or have to do the real work to evolve and get out of the riptide. Often when I feel resistance, I wonder is this resistance appearing to protect me or is it holding me back? Then I remember that the path of yoga provides infinite inquiries and infinite experiments to support reaching a more fulfilling life. Resistance gives us an opportunity to trust. And most likely, when you're close to something that is calling you to evolve, shift, or let go, that resistance might make an an appearance. Then, when I ask myself the questions, what is truer than my resistance? What am I prepared to do about it? I often find a pot of gold a world of potential growth opportunities. And when I'm willing to face this part of myself with gentleness and humility, I often come through to the other side being a more aligned version of myself. So let's get curious. No matter what inquiry you're invited into, you're in charge of which ones you want to participate in and what ideas you take from them. The process might be a bit more easeful if you just start by taking off your armor, resistance, putting your weapons down, Complaining, pointing the finger, being the victim, and allowing yourself to dive in.
0: You just heard the voice of Kobe Kozlowski. Kobe is a speaker, life coach, trainer, and contemporary yoga and meditation educator. She's the author of One Degree Revolution How the Wisdom of Yoga Inspires Small Shifts That Lead to Big Changes. Kobe has appeared on the covers of Yoga Journal and Mantra Wellness Magazine, and she was named one of seven yoga teachers who have changed the practice. She's a senior faculty member and presenter at Krupalu Center for Yoga and Health and the Esalen Institute. She received her master's degree in transformational leadership. To learn more and to find Kobe's new book, please visit kobyk.com. That's c o b y k.com. Kobe, welcome to Written Spoken and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank goodness, thank you. Thank you, thank you.
0: In the excerpt that you shared from One Degree Revolution, you say things like yoga is intimacy Mm -hmm. and that yoga gives you an opportunity to look at life while being alive. For someone who hasn't experienced yoga or only thinks of yoga as a thing that you do in tight pants in a hot room, (laughs) I'm really curious, how did you discover this well-rounded and kind of like, I guess we'll use the keyword, holistic Mm -hmm. um, and wide-ranging definition of yoga?
1: I don't know if there's like an exact like oh in this moment this thing happened, um, but you know I don't know when you first took your first yoga class, but I was seventeen and you know it definitely was like your downward facing dog kind of yoga. And I, um, you know, I actually didn't really like yoga when I first started it. It wasn't. I was like, why do people do this? What's this about? Right. Um, but a couple of years later, I had an accident, and which ended up leading me to have a surgery on my leg the surgeon um, made a mistake during the surgery, which led to having nine knee and hip operations. Um, It led me to be bedridden for a couple of months. Uh, My vision was impacted. I was on and off crutches for six years. And that time period was... A, almost like an initiation into this whole other world of like what yoga is, and and you know for me it was just this beginning of like oh like yoga is so much more than what I can do with my physical body, and it, it just opened up this whole world of inquiry and study and human potential and what else is there, and then that sense of like how do we really live these principles in a con- you know in a contemporary perspective, and because I you know I I don't claim to know what yoga was a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago, I very much am like, okay, like here's the world that we're living in. How can we honor the past, but also look at the world we're living in and say like, how are these teachings applicable to the world that we live in today? And so for me, it's really just been 25 years of of inquiry, of practice, of learning. And you know, I still probably, you probably feel similar, but it's like the more I learn, it's like Wow, like it just, keep, it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And so for me, the book and the teachings are really just like hey, up until this point, here are things that I've learned that have been incredibly supportive and helpful to riding the ways of life with more skill and grace. And, um, you know, I just, I really do come from the belief system that yoga is a path that provides zero answers. But infinite inquiries and experiments, and you know, so for me, it's just I'm just in the inquiry. I'm in the experiment. Still, I'm still learning. I'm still in this, you know everything I share in the I share in the book. Share in the book. It's in the book. It's like, oh yeah, I still need to live this every day, right? It's like there's yeah. another opportunity, and the the working definition of yoga that probably resonates the most, even though I didn't even read that the section, but is that yoga is really about how do we skillfully participate and engage with life, right? And and I think every moment of every breath of every second of every day is an opportunity to say, okay, what's skill, what could be skillful today? How can I engage today? How can I participate today with this life that we've been given and granted? And um, yeah, like how can we show up? So, yeah. you know, I don't know that there's a exact moment in time more than just a, a deep hunger for learning about life and being in the experiment myself.
0: Right. It, that's what comes to mind as I hear you describing the richness of your understanding of yoga. In th- How you define yoga represents how you've come to know yourself and mm. what you desire from life and how you want to engage with life. You use the word inquiry that mm-hmm. um, the philosophy of yoga is much more about asking questions rather than providing answers. And the metaphor that kind of comes to mind as you described that was like a good college professor, um, Mm -hmm. like someone who is constantly asking you questions and prompting you to ask questions. And you leave the class without answers, but with more questions, and in a way that feels actually truly liberating and engaging and exciting than feeling daunting <laughs> or like you're just in a, in the face of like a really terrifying unknown um, and so that that leads to my next question because your book itself is called 1 degree revolution and so with this idea in mind around asking questions versus seeking answers i think the idea of changing 1 degree as a way of yeah. changing a whole course in life over time is a pretty profound idea because obviously we're living in a society and in a culture when when over-masculinized as it is, kind of touts a lot of bravado and toxicity around like um, using kind of alpha dominant energy or ideas to over-romanticize how you navigate life, doing life rather than experiencing life or Mm -hmm. making big sweeping actions and gestures and efforts and being self-made and doing it all on your own. Uh, But in your book, In the introduction, you write, quote, you can shift the course of your entire life by making a one degree course shift, unquote. So why is changing one degree on one's path so potentially powerful or even more powerful in the long term than trying to do it all at once or changing, like making a big sweeping change, which somehow seems more romantic or dramatic or committed in the process?
1: you said that so beautifully. Thanks. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I, you know, in some ways, yeah, I think we're addicted to like, we've got to do it all. It's got to be huge. It's got to be this. And I really yeah. just, and and are there moments where we make these huge leaps? Absolutely. And those can be incredibly powerful and profound. And at the same time, I find that often, you know, if we really just pay attention to that, that, Inquiry of like, where am I committing a crime against wisdom? Like that question in itself often reveals a lifetime of inquiry of like, oh, like here's this place. Like, where am I committing this crime against wisdom? And what's what's something small that I could do today to begin to shift that that you know the direction of my own life? And I think you know if we could imagine we're all on a boat together, or you're on a boat by yourself, however you want to go about it, and you're setting course in one direction if you change just 1 degree one 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 tiny little degree over a week a month a year a lifetime you're going to end up in a totally different place and so i often think it's like okay where am i committing a crime against wisdom what wants to be tended to right now what wants attention right now and if i can pay attention to that thing if we look at yoga as yoking to bind ourselves to something if i can bind myself to this this 1 degree shift It's like the course of my life is going to shift and change. And sometimes it is these, you know, it can seem small, but it really is big. It's like, you know, there's an inquiry I love. Um, Are your words an improvement upon silence? It's a quote from Swami Kripalu. And sometimes it's like just pausing before you speak. It might seem small, but imagine how different our relationships, our conversations would be if we all just pause before we spoke and ask ourselves, is this truly an improvement upon silence? Like, why am I saying what I'm saying? Mm. And so to me, the the small shifts really are potent and it really does lead to drastic change. And I just think if we can take enough time, you know, I don't, you know, going back to this place of yoga is listening. Can I really listen? Can I put myself in the experiment? and see what happens over a period of time to start shifting that course. I just think we would all be shocked and surprised um, about where 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 we would end up. You know, I I run a um or I was running a um leadership and coaching school and um so often I would say it's just like uh It's all entangled, right? Sometimes like a client would come to me and it's like, well, I don't know if I want to work on my career or my relationship or this. And I'm always like, in some ways it doesn't matter because it's all entangled. And when we start to pay attention to one thing, we make that one degree shift somewhere. It's all interwoven with our whole life. And so the fabric of our being starts to shift and change. And so that's what's interesting to me about this one degree shift and um, just paying deeper attention, truly listening and um, doing what we need to do where we're committing a crime against wisdom for the sake of savoring life more, right? Like enjoying this experience more, being in the mystery uh, even more rather than just saying, well, this is the way life is and this is the way it goes and this this is just who I am. It's like, that's one way. And again, I'm not to say, I'm not here to say how anyone should or should not live their life. I'm just more interested in like what else how can I be more intimate, how can I savor more, how can I cherish more, how can I be more, How can I feel more um, mm-hmm. yeah, ha- and I think that just leads to a potent life,
0: yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I was no. just gonna say that it sounds like the one degree revolution, the what you're offering and suggesting is a path or a process or a journey that is much more patient and Mm. trusting in a world that seems to demand immediacy of action or, or Mm. certainty of knowing, despite the fact that everybody's grappling with the same uncertainty all the time. And, you know, you mentioned something in there, Kobe, about um, that you used to specifically teach um, you used to have a school, so you know given your your background and if, if anybody gives you a quick Google, they can see that you have spent uh, the better part of two decades building schools and mm-hmm. doing trainings for you mm-hmm. know hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of budding yoga teachers and professionals and and twenty somethings as a as a life coach and a, a trainer um, you 've built a a lot to be in this, to, to teach what you believe and to teach what mm-hmm. you know. And I think listeners might be surprised to hear that recently, like within recent months or years, you've been letting go of a lot and putting a lot on hiatus from those mm-hmm. trainings to schools that you've you've built and created. Um, mm-hmm. What has inspired that shift? And is this indicative of your own, you know, one degree course corrections or some other part of a, a process that you're living as you've been espousing in the book?
1: You know, I, we could spend uh, probably a week just talking about this in itself. Um, <laughs> but, you know, w- one of the chapters is the power of pause. And, you know, for me, like I said earlier, I really, I'm in it. You know, I often say, like, I'm not a teacher of anything, I'm not teaching anything. I'm sharing, I'm mm. facilitating experiences for people to unveil their own truths. And one of my aims and in inquiries in life is really. This idea of like what is truth and what is reality, and um, you know, looking at pausing for the sake of what what is the truth that wants to get revealed, right? And I think so often myself and other people can hold on to what we think is true, but the real power is to say, "Hey, can I let it all go to see what actually wants to come back or what wants to emerge now?" And mm. yeah, I have really, I have really done some. Um, letting go. For the sake of like, yeah, for pausing and really thinking about how am I spending my time and what is the most useful way that I can um, show up and I can contribute. And yeah, so I'm just taking a little I mean, I'm still, I still teach my program quarter life calling. I still teach um, some programs at Kripalu and my vinyasa training, but yeah, I have taken a pause from my leadership training and my coaching training and the the 200 hour teacher training and some other conferences and festivals that I used to uh, be a part of. And it's really the power of pause of like, okay, like who am I now? I remember this person came up to me at Kripalu. I've been teaching at Kripalu for like, I don't know, maybe 13 years now. And this woman came up to me and she said, oh, I took a workshop with you, you know, like seven years ago. God, you've changed a lot. And she said it in a way that was a little bit like, I can't believe you've changed. Like, why are you changing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, you know, my my response was like, thank God, you know, thank goodness I've changed. Like, I hope that I'm changing and evolving. And I hope that I'm not just holding on to, the way that I worked in the world or the way that I showed up in the world. And, you know, for me, it's um, really just been an opportunity these last couple of years to just get really curious about what matters now at this, this season of my life, this phase of my life. And time is precious. Time is really, really precious. And um, I just feel like I'm also in a place of my own evolution of like being a student of life of just like, okay, like what, what's, What's here now, and uh, paying attention, and it's it's really been one of the greatest gifts that I've given myself. I've had a lot of friends that are like, wow, I can't believe you, you walked away from all of that, and it's felt really easy and really um, natural, and there's been no like, oh God, I can't believe I didn't, I'm not doing that, and um, yeah, I, I really, it really one of the things it's doing for me is is really reminding me of like, wow, this work really pays off because. I really do trust life, and I trust my ability to be with life and um, and whatever life wants to present itself to me. So for me, you know, one of the other chapters in the book is this idea of authenticity, and I, it's a. Sometimes I think it's an overused word in the wellness and yoga world. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, authenticity. Like, how many times we can we say that that word? But it's really like, all right, what's the most authentic version of myself that wants to engage now and. I love this idea of death on one shoulder, eternity on the other, right? So it's like, who do I want to be and how do I want to engage if I could imagine that death is on my shoulder and it's right around the corner, but also at the same time, how do I want to live if I were going to be here forever? And holding that paradox really challenges me to like, just get really clear about how am I spending my time? Who am I spending my time with? How am I engaging? What matters now? And and what do I want to be a student of right now? How can I be an apprentice to life right now? I um, when I was in my twenties, I I had a a mentor um, of mine, and he used to always say to me, you know, in my earlier days, I was like, I just want to be a master of something, and he was like, mm-hmm, and he would just kind of like laugh at me and. Right. And he was like, you know, you need to learn to be a masterful a, a masterful apprentice before you can be a master of anything. Mm. And that like really just stuck with me of like, what is it to be an, an apprentice to life? And that's just really where I, I feel I'm diving into even more of like, oh, right. I want to be an apprentice to all of this. Like, I don't want to be a master of anything. I want to really be like what else to be more comfortable in the mystery to ask different questions to, um, yeah, just to to fully be in the experience even more. So creating that kind of space is really allowing me to, to be like, Ooh,
0: now what? Yeah. Well, you, you preempted my next question, which was going to be to ask you if the shedding and letting go of what you've been building has felt scary or, or unnerving, but it sounds like it's been really liberating and also really in integrity to, what you just said there about your former mentor telling you that the most important thing is not to become a master, but to become an apprentice and to become an apprentice of life. Why do you suppose Kobe that there's such an allure and mystique or um, commonly espoused like wanting for mastery, especially when it comes mm. to like mastery in career or mastery of knowledge. Mm. Do, do have you ever, have you like, Contemplate question. Why that breakdown? <laughs> good, good question.
1: Well, I don't I've never that that this is a fun question to think about. So if you're listening, don't hold me to this. I could change my mind in a minute. Um, I, I think I said that in my book too. I'm like, this is what I believe now. I definitely could change my mind. Um, you no, know, I think I, I don't know ultimately, and I think that there is, you know, if we think about the nature of consciousness itself. I think it's always wanting to evolve into another perfection of itself. Like a, there always is this blossoming. Mm. So what I imagine is that if if we um, if we believe in consciousness as a, an unfolding, and if we are consciousness, it's our, ourselves, it's like there's a blossoming in us that wants to happen. And so there's a like what else is there there's another perfection around the corner there's another you know skill set to gain so i think in some ways like that's probably how you know consciousness works and so that's how we will work and i also think it is a way to feel in control right and mm-hmm. i think part of the practice of living yoga is like can we get comfortable being uncomfortable having no idea what's going on and being like we're not in control like ultimately we're not in control and it's like I mean, there's certain things we are in control of, right? Right. We can be in control of our own integrity or our own word or whatever it might be, but the bigger control it's like, we're not. So I think it's also a way of feeling in control of something, of feeling like we've mastered something, of we are, um, yeah, like that there's a a sense of like, okay, I I matter. I belong here. Safety, Certains, yeah, Yeah, I have something to contribute because I think we all want to contribute, right? I think that there that there is something wired in us as well of wanting to be used well, wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to contribute. And I think sometimes we work overtime to do it. And um, I think that sometimes that's also can be where we commit crimes against wisdom, right? Like I look mm-hmm. back at my earlier days of teaching and working and and not that I would do it any different because it was natural at the time, but it was just like, for me, it was like, game on, like, let's work, like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And people would always be like, you should probably slow down and soften and this and that. And at the time, I was like, why? You know, like, (laughs) the energy was natural. It was just like, that was the season I was in in my own life. Mm. And not to say that I'm not still passionate about creating and sharing. It's just different now. And I trust the season that I'm in now. And so that's really what I hope for everyone is, you know, to learn to trust that the season that they're in, and even if they are on the path of mastery of anything, can you be a masterful apprentice? Can you be a masterful, you know, in the beginning, the middle and the end and um, enjoy it all the way. But if we're always trying to get to the end of the road, it's like, well, we miss out on 99.999% of the percent of life.
0: Right, yeah, and you used a keyword there, kobe, and that that was a terrific answer, especially for being put on the spot to answer like a <laughs> uh, something something that's that's played uh, humanity for uh, an eternity, so very well done, uh, and thank you, <laughs> um but you used the keyword there that's been uh Bandied about quite a bit in the last few months. It, we're recording this interview. It's the middle of May 2020, and um, we're enduring a pandemic. Uh, the idea of control, what is within or, or not within mm-hmm. our control, is really present on a lot of people's minds, some more than others who are really facing it head on. I've been lucky, privileged enough to not be very, very much affected, um, which I always say because I think talking about the pandemic can be rather easy when you want to be theoretical or philosophical about it, when you're not mm. dealing with it head on. But the with with control in mind, I want to take a step back and say, yeah. uh, in One Degree Revolution, you relate ancient yoga philosophies and, and ideas and apply them to modern day contexts. And of course, right now, what we as, as humans are all navigating in our own um, everyday lives, that's also what you're Um, helping people to uncover and unpack and understand by way of these ancient yoga texts and ideas and concepts. What yogic idea or concept has been coming to mind most often when we've been in this COVID-19 pandemic? Has there been something in particular that you've been reminding yourself or your students of lately? Is there like one one thing you've been leaning on, whether it's a, a mantra or a Sanskrit term, or a, a, a larger yogic idea, um, especially when it comes around like what you can and can't control. You
1: know, nothing that like stands out in a way of like very specific to what we're we're in right now. But ultimately, like you know, I just I it's it's kind of a simplistic answer, but it's just we're all experiencing it differently. To your point, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's just a level of can we be welcoming to whatever we're experiencing, but also can we hold space for what everybody else is experiencing? And I think like that, just the practice of like, we are all seeing a different angle of this thing we're calling life and none of us are experiencing the same thing. And, you know, there's no specific like this, you know, this one philosophy, this one, whatever, but it's just that sense of like, can we, hold a bigger story? Can we hold a bigger conversation, a bigger narrative? You know, it's often said that in uh, mythology, that we are every character in every myth. And sometimes mm-hmm. we want to, you know, we want to be the hero or the heroine, or we you know, we, we identify with a particular character, but what if we could really hold space that we are every character and every myth in this, this story that is our life, the myth of our life, you know, it's like, we're all the different characters, we're all coming together. And, you know, I don't necessarily, this is a semantic kind of point, but I don't necessarily subscribe to this idea that we are all one. I mean, I think on like a subatomic level, we're all one. But I do think that we are weaving together oneness, right? Like there's Mm. diversity within the oneness. And to me, that is part of the the beautiful thing about yoga is like, hey, like together we create this one, but within this oneness, there's all these different flavors, experiences, feelings, emotions, perspectives, ideas, narratives. And what is it to hold it all? And what is it to recognize that together we're creating this story and to assume that someone else should be doing it differently, saying it differently? Um, I don't know. I think there, it, there can be a lot of them over there and us over here versus hey we're in this together like we really are in this together. So I think the practice of that of just um being welcoming, you know, I, I often lead a meditation inspired by my teacher uh, Lauren Roche, who I mentioned in the book. And it's a really simple meditation. It's just I welcome. You can just go through different parts like I welcome this part of myself, I welcome this, I welcome that, I welcome this. And I think when we can go on a journey of welcoming all the different parts of ourselves, we can become more intimate with the world at large and be more welcoming to others. And um, I just feel like that's, that's where we're at is just how do we hold a bigger story and how do we recognize that we're weaving and looming all of this together?
0: Yeah. And I want to take a little bit of like a left-hand turn, Kobe, to talk sure. about a weaving of, of the stories in your book. Um, I'm always really curious about asking creatives and creators about their, their practice and their process. So um, with regard to creating your book, um, tell me about what the experience was like for you to write a book. Was, is this the first book that you've written and published? And um, how was the experience for you, generally speaking?
1: Woo. The experience was an experience for sure. What, what I love so much about writing the book is that every single thing that I wrote in that book, I had to live through writing this book. Mm. Like, every single thing in, isn't that in some annoying? ways,
0: isn't that the word? <laughs>
1: right. Right. But in some ways it was so like validating. Cause I was like, right. Oh, right. This one too. Oh, here it is again. Oh, wait, where am I not being authentic? Where am I not? I need to be more accountable. Oh, I've got to sit in the fire and get comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, I need to pause up. Oh, I need to ask for help. And Oh, what lens am I, am I looking at this adventure through? Oh, I need to take a pause. Oh, you know, it just was like, there was literally not a moment and not a, a lesson that i that I spoke about in the book that I did not have to live um, writing the book, and that in itself was just like right I had to live the yoga to write about living the yoga, and right. I both loved that, and it's also like holding a posture for an hour that is sometimes painful you know it's just it was all of it, and mm-hmm. um it was my it is my first book that I published um, with St. Martin's Press. And they've been amazing. And I feel so supported and cared for in, my, in the Carol Mann Agency and Pam LaFlander, who worked with me, mm-hmm. um, had it, helping me edit every sentence along the way. And so I just felt so supported through the process with an amazing team, and, um, and it was moments that were really easeful and beautiful. And there were moments that were just really intense, where it was like, why am I doing this? Um, <laughs> and and do like, you
0: consider yourself a writer, Kobe?
1: I, I, you know, if you asked my best friends from junior high and high school, they would say, you finally wrote your book. And so, you know, I, back in, you know, junior high, my best friend and I were writing a book together and, um, and yeah, you know, I would say that writing, writing a book for me was a very different experience than any writing I'd ever experienced before. And it was, um, there was such a learning curve and there were so many things that were, that were concealed to me about writing a book of this nature. Um, Mm. And, you know, I, the book was based off originally a program that I teach for people in their twenties called quarter life calling. And I, I started teaching that program 10 years ago. And that first time I taught that workshop, there was a guy uh, in the, uh, one of the participants, um, he said, Hey, should I take notes during this workshop? And I was like, Oh no, you don't need to take notes. I'm writing a book because I really was, I was planning on writing a book about the content of, of that particular workshop and make it relevant for all ages, because I really think living yoga is for all ages. Um, anyway, so it was a running joke for the last 10 years, because I stayed in touch with this participant, Jordan. And he would always say like, hey, I didn't take notes. Where's the book? Where's the book?
0: Um, <laughs> Nothing like so, accountability to keep you to yeah, it. Yeah,
1: he was like, uh, I need my notes. And so in some ways, you know, the last 10 years... Um, it's been a process of writing and begin. you know, the last chapter of the book is begin again. And the amount of times that I had to begin again and begin again and try it a different way. And, and how do I say it? Because for me, you know, lecturing and facilitating is such a different experience than writing and trying to translate these teachings into, you know, someone reading a book at home and I don't get to explain like, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. Like, you know, whereas you facilitate, I facilitate an experience. I'm like, Oh, that didn't land. Let me, let me say it a different way.
0: Right.
1: Um, so, you know, there was so much to learn about that process. And then it was also a process of letting go of, okay, I can't say every single thing that I've learned in the last 25 years of studying yoga philosophy and human potential. Um, and here's what really matters to me right now. Um, so yeah, it was a really beautiful, rich, powerful, wave riding experience of living the yoga and, and feeling like, you know, one of the teachings in the book that I talk about is this idea of what's called Purnatva, And it's this concept that there's a fullness, there's a completion, there's a perfection with exactly how it is. And then Pornapha also at the same time means what are, what's the different perfection that we're evolving into. And so in many ways, the book is like, it was an opportunity for me to really sit in the seat of like, can I see the perfection and not like perfection as in goodness, but the like, Hey, this is perfect as it is. Like here is this offering. And to know, you know, I, you know, we were talking about where we're from, like I'm from Massachusetts. And though I think I'm a pretty, um, dedicated, reverent person. There's a, also another part of me that's very irreverent and very East Coast and very, <laughs> like, I like humor. And there was a way in which, like, humor didn't come across in the book. And I was like, oh, I wish it was like the the funny part would come through. And mm-hmm. it was like, and there's perfection here. It's perfect exactly as it is. And, um, you know, and then, there's, and then there's always more. There's always more. And so it was a really good for, practice for me to also just be like, to really celebrate how much rich information and inquiries and concepts and ideas live within that. And I really truly believe that if someone picked up the book and there was one inquiry in that book and they created that as their one degree shift inquiry, that in itself could be the thing that could change the entire course of their life. That in itself could be, like that is reason enough for me to feel like like, okay, this book has done its job. And, um, and that's what I hope is that people will pick it up and it's like, they'll find the nugget, the thing that's knocking at their heart to get their attention to say, it's time to do this thing. It's time to be with this thing. It's time to go into this inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, no different yeah. than I had to go into each and every one of them in the writing process.
0: Absolutely, that's that's a great way to convey it, Kobe. And I would say two things. One, some humor comes through in the book, maybe okay. not, maybe not in like a <laughs> a Boston like drunk at a Bruins game kind of a way. Which well, I that's
1: good. We don't we don't even want we don't, that. We so don't need good. that. Yeah, we, we, don't, don't we don't even need that. that. Yeah, we
0: yeah. don't need that in a in a yoga book or otherwise. But um, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, you, one of the, one such idea that comes to mind is you discuss the idea of composting, as you refer to mm-hmm. it, or like yeah. taking the shit in our lives and turning it into something useful. Um, which yeah. I think is a is. Both, I guess it's um, a very literal idea when you think about what compost is, but I think it is what comes to mind when I think of like the playfulness and light that you bring in the book. And Mm -hmm. overall, I think it's important for listeners to know too that this the book that you've written isn't so much like here's why yoga matters. It's not a a book for convincing somebody about yoga as a practice. It's more, it's a much larger philosophy. And you talk about things like for example, the idea of composting is with regard to um, telling one's own story and mm-hmm. seeing through uh, illusion, or the Sanskrit word, which is a Maya, which, uh, uh, or rather Maya, um, to help us escape narratives that we don't want to be living. There's stuff about cultivating a sacred community and the, the importance of like finding physical in-person communities amongst our our age of so-called digital communities. Um, but I'm I'm curious if you could give us a a short answer with regard to the what your yoga practice looks like today because I think a lot of people who maybe aren't full t- full-time quote-unquote practitioners of yoga or maybe have never done yoga assume that somebody who's a quote-unquote yoga teacher is like does everything uh, in a headstand what does your <laughs> yoga yeah. practice like kind of generally look like today even if it's And of course, it's not just the asana or physical posture practice that I'm curious about if you could share with us what you consider your practice to be, generally speaking, other than the entire book you just wrote and and are sharing with us.
1: Well, I mean, and that really is the answer, right? Like for me, (laughs) it it, it really is that because it's like, I think that it's like what wants attention now and coming back to that question of where am I committing a crime against wisdom? What needs attention right now? that is my yoga practice it's like where what wants attention what wants attention what wants attention and you know i went i really went back and forth of whether or not i should have even included the word yoga in the book or any like sanskrit or whatever because i was like i really wrote the book as a way to say like hey here is some invitation some inquiries to learn to just simply savor life more and it just happens to be that yoga philosophy and living yoga is the where I've spent a lot of time and inquiry, but the teachings are relevant to everyone like I often say like I could care less if anyone ever does downward facing dog kind of yoga like that's just it doesn't i don't mm-hmm. want to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter to me. It's more interesting of everyone finding their yoga for lack of better words. Like, how do you want to engage with life? What's an experiment you can put yourself in? How can you lean into your community? How what is, How do you rewrite your story? What does it mean to be accountable and tolerate the consequences of being yourself? What does it mean to see life beyond fear, fantasy, and distortion? What does it mean to tap into the intelligence of consciousness itself and to align with, you know, I talk in the book about these six qualities of consciousness And so for me, it's like, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm like, oh, go buy the book. But I'm like, go buy the book because it really is a book for a lifetime. It's a book where, um, you know, it is my, my checklist, my go-to my like, okay, like, what is it now? What is it today? And, you know, like I said earlier, right now, my, my practice really is being in the pause. It's, um, deep listening. It's, uh, just, really savoring. um, And and in that, there are certain practices that I offer in the book, like I said, that I welcome meditation. I do that every single day. Mm. And so in in the book, there's a chapter on what we call instinctive meditation. And so that feels really important for me. And then tending to the koshas, the the multidimensional being that we are. So I find every day some way to be in relationship with my physical body. And sometimes that is yoga postures. And a lot of times it's not these days. Um, and then having a relationship with my breath and it could be a simple deep breath in and a big exhale, or it could be a more formal pranayama practice. And then tending to my mind, it's like, how do I tap into the most empowered version of my mind? Where do I need to create a boundary with the part of my mind that wants to self-sabotage or create worst case scenario or whatever it might be and, and really strengthen the ability to notice when that part of my mind wants to hijack And then I think strengthening um, my relationship with anything that I consider greater than myself, which could, you know, for me is my family, is nature, is, I mean, really family and nature feels like I can, if I spend time out in nature with my family, it's just like instant connection. And so that is my practice. And I, I would hope for everybody to find their yoga even if they never take a yoga class, you know, I often will talk about my dad, who I think, and my mom, who I think are two of the most yogic people that I've ever met. And neither of them do quote unquote yoga. My mother came to my first yoga workshop I ever taught. She was the one standing in the back looking at me with her best friend giggling, going, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm like, (laughs) how is my mother the problem student right now? Like, you downward (laughs) facing dog. But they are the most generous kind, um, thoughtful people I've ever met. And I just feel like, I feel like a lot of us in the yoga world could learn a lot from people that maybe don't ever do yoga. And um, I just think that the yoga teachers are everywhere.
0: Kobe, thank you so much for joining us on Written Spoken. It's been such a delight and a pleasure to talk with you about this. We could go on for hours more, but um, thank you for your time and for offering and teaching and sharing what you're what you're putting out into the world. I truly consider you um, a leader by example and I'm um, really grateful for what you shared with us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and um, yeah, for inviting me. So thank you. Thank you.
0: DeVersillo, and this is Written Spoken. Bye for now.